Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Brad Stahl, a senior pastor here at First Baptist. And uh, if you're expecting the offering right now, hold on to it. Hold on. We're taking the offering after the message today, just kind of changing things up just a little bit. I just want to say thank you, though, for all of you who were involved with our ministry fair last Sunday. Many, many, many of you got connected and involved, and that is exactly what we want to see happen. Uh, Yesterday was a great day as well for the women's conference that was here with Sherry Rose Shepherd. Yeah, her many wonderful, wonderful comments about that. So I'm not sure if Michelle Dorman and her team are here or if they're recuperating. Um, but uh, great, great job with all that. Um, and I know many of you probably missed the announcements today. We did those right up front, but you have a bulletin in front of you that we'd encourage you to look through and look over. Uh, one little uh, thing I'll throw in there personally, uh, my wife and I are leading a mission trip to Haiti coming up in February. So you see the announcements in there. There is a meeting right after this service at 11 o'clock over in the um, chapel that if you'd like to be a part of that, we would love for you to jump in and join that. Well, today... You can see that the value we are talking about is what? What's the value? Discipleship. And if you are a little newer here around First Baptist or have not been here for the last number of weeks, uh, actually months, uh, we have been going through one by one by one by one each of these 10 values. We're on number nine, so we have uh, discipleship and then fellowship that we're going to do over the next five weeks or so, but we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about discipleship, and today I'm going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to look at a man in uh, Scripture who uh, thought very, very highly of uh, discipleship and had a disciple. His name is Paul. The one who was his disciple um, was Timothy. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, you may open them up to 2 Timothy. Love for you to encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up at our Next Step Center on the way out. But uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy is in the New Testament. Can be a little bit hard to find, I know. It's okay to use a table of contents. No problem there. If you've gone to Hebrews, you have gone too far. Back up a couple of books. Um, but I know many of you are, are so smart, you'll pick this up. 2 Timothy is right after what book? Yeah, First Timothy. Good call. You guys got it. Okay, you're there. You're there. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 is what we're going to be looking at. Uh, And today, um, as we look at that, I just want to kind of set the tone a little bit. Uh, Paul is um, the writer of about two-thirds of the New Testament. And Timothy is kind of his protege, as I said, his kind of disciple that he is bringing along and pointing towards Christ. Uh, But he is like a son to him. In fact, he says that if you have the NIV version, it says son child is what it says in the uh, ESV, what we're going to read here today, but they had that kind of a spiritual relationship. And uh, what Paul is doing here in 2 Timothy is he is uh, giving him, he is writing to uh, Timothy his last words, because Paul knows he does not have much longer to live. He knows he's going to die, and we'll talk about that in just a bit. I'll explain that. But he leaves his last charge to Timothy. And so the book of 2 Timothy is kind of challenging, it's, it's encouraging, it's, it's given a lot of reflections, but it's also getting to the point. And so let me ask you, if you were to give someone your last words, if you were to give someone kind of their, their, your last bit of advice, what would you write? Paul wrote a letter. If you were to write an email... 
what would kind of be the gist of the theme of it? I mean, I mean, would you say, you know, be sold out to Jesus? Or would you say, you know, don't take life so seriously? Or would you say, yeah, you shouldn't have been a Giant fan. You should have been a Dodger fan, <laughs> right? I mean, at least this year, right? right? No, just joke. Just don't take life so seriously, right? Right? Okay, modeling that right there, right? What would you say? What would be your last words to somebody that kind of where your life has been and what you encourage them to do? Well, fortunately, we have the last words of of Jesus. Do you remember what those were? In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus was on a mountaintop and he's preparing to ascend into heaven. Um, And he gives them these words as he has his disciples before him. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you know what? While you do it, I'm going to be with you all the time. Now, what's interesting about the last words of Jesus is that they reflect about half of our values up here. When we talk about go and make disciples, that's a sense of evangelism that Jesus has charged us with. When we talk about baptizing people, that's a sense of fellowship and bringing them into the family. When we talk about you know, going and have this be in a lifestyle of worship and of ministry, uh, uh, of serving others, uh, it, it's all in there. I mean, half the values that we have here are from the last words of Jesus. And he also shares with them to teach them to teach people you come into contact with, all that I have taught you. And so that's a sense of discipleship and of growing in your faith. And so let's look at the value. We always like to read it together. We're going to put it up here on the screen. We value discipleship. Would you read it with me? Discipleship is a process of becoming like Jesus and is the responsibility of each Christian to take personal ownership for their own spiritual maturity. All right, I, I like that definition for a few different reasons. Um, it, it is, uh, talking about discipleship, it's a process of becoming like Jesus. It doesn't just happen overnight. So please don't get frustrated if you're not as far along as you think you should be or if someone else in your family or your friends are not as far along as they should be. It is a process, but the process and the aim, the end result is to become more like Jesus over time. It's a process that we experience every day. In fact, I hope you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. And I hope you'll look more like Jesus tomorrow than you did today. I mean, that's the process that we're talking about. It's a process. It takes time, but the goal is to become like Christ. And certainly one of the main ways that that happens is by reading God's Word. And so again, if you look back at 2 Timothy, you'll see, and let me explain just kind of as we head into these verses, that again, this is his last letter. Paul is facing death as he writes this from a prison. In fact, the only one who's able to be there in there with him is Luke who was helping him write this letter. And it was written about 35 years after Jesus was crucified. So it was written year 66-67 AD. And um, this was just a couple of years before Paul was going to phase his execution as Nero came throughout Rome and persecuted all the Christians and did away with many of them. 
And so it is a fascinating letter, reflective, challenging, summarizing what Paul wants people to remember. And it's one of those that you really want to lean into and read through and read through slowly. I'm only going to read a couple of verses today, about seven verses today, but I encourage you to read the rest of the letter sometime this week. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So let me just stop right there and kind of explain a few things. That father-child type of relationship, father-son relationship was there with Paul and with Timothy. And the word grace is interesting here because it is coupled with this thought of strength. In fact, in the NIV, it says, be strong in the grace. ESV talks about being strengthened in the grace. And it's kind of an interesting putting together of two words because grace is something that you get freely. Grace is something that you are given. It's an undeserved favor that is for you. And grace, as Paul well knows, is how we even have a relationship with God in the first place. It was initiated by him. It was because of his favor. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. We do not earn it. We do not, it is not, Um, something that we even deserve, but God gives it to us. And so Paul is saying that it's in that same grace that God saved you, that strong grace is also for you to live in. So just as you receive that kind of grace, be built up in it, be strong in that kind of a grace. You've heard us share this thought, Pastor Jim has shared this thought for many times here right from this pulpit of talking about grace, uh, uh, gives you that thought and allows you to know that there is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. That God's love is all poured out on us. His grace is there for us. And so you can't do, the, the better you are doesn't deserve God's love, doesn't give you more love. God's love is already poured upon us, and that's because of his grace. Now, what happens many times is that grace can be abused. I got a phone call this last week from someone who does not attend our church. She had grown up in a Baptist church, and she had been attending another denomination. And they were kind of pointing to this fact of grace. Well, what kind of grace do you think you have? You know, you can lose that grace in relationship with God. And I said, ma'am, no, you know this from your roots, that that grace is not to be done away with. That grace is not going to be here today and gone tomorrow. God's favor is upon you. When you have accepted Christ into your life, said yes to him, you are a part of his family. Now, only God knows if you truly made that decision. We don't know that on the outside, but you know that between you and God. Because what she was being told is, well, what happens because now you have that grace means that you can go do whatever you want. You can go sin. You can go, you know, to the bars. You can go do this. You can do that. You can become promiscuous, whatever you want to do. And, and what I told her was this. I told her, when you have that kind of a grace, that's a cheap grace. That's a grace that just says, well, I'll accept that just to get me out of, out of hell. And I'll just live however I want to live. That is not the grace that we're talking about. The grace we're talking about is a grace that is understood and brought upon our lives. And when we have it, we love God even more because of it. We don't accept this grace and say, oh, now I can do whatever I want to do. We accept this grace and that in turn makes us want to love God even more, to serve God even more. So you don't serve because you have to. You serve because of the grace God has given to you and the love that he has given to you. Not a cheap grace at all. Don't accept that grace as a cheap grace. 
It's not a cheap grace. It costs Jesus his life. It's a very expensive grace, but it's given to you freely, and you accept it by accepting Jesus. And so now Paul is saying, be strong in that grace. It's not a cheap grace. It's a grace that holds on to you and allows you to strive after our Heavenly Father. Let me read the verse again, then I'll go to verse 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that God uh, has for you that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Can I just say this first Baptist? If we really believe that, this city would be rocked for God. If we really believed and followed verse 2, that would mean every one of us in here has someone in our lives that are speaking truth into us and helping us along just as Paul did it for Timothy. And that we would also have somebody who we are pouring our lives into as well. So it's this sense and this understanding, this idea that we are always learning from someone and always leading someone. Always learning from someone and always leading someone. And if we did just that, this church would be changed, this city would be changed, this country would be changed. If we just followed that, that's what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying the things that you have learned from me, Pass on to others so that they may pass it on to others and pass it on to others. But don't forget, I'm here to help you walk in your faith. I'm to point you to Jesus. Now do that for other people and help them do that for other people as well. And I would hope and I would pray if you do not have that yet in your life. Well, we have our Wednesday night program. It's the beginning. It's a place where you can step into the... We have our Wednesday night. We have our Tuesday morning women's study. And then in the fall, we're going to get into community groups and homes and some other... I pray that you see this as an opportunity. Pastor Mike just showed you that black sheet that's in your um, uh, pews or upstairs. It's uh, in the back of the chairs, downstairs. Uh, ways to get connected. Don't just let Sunday morning be the way you're connected. Be connected in other places because God has something for you to do. However... He wants you to grow in his goodness, in his favor, in his grace. And so verses 3 through 6 give us some examples of how we live out that strong grace or how we hear God speak to us in that strong grace and how then we share that with other people. So let me read verse 3. Paul says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We have said this a lot about the Christian faith, that um, you will have troubles, you will have temptations, you will have people trespass or sin against you. I think one of the reasons that the American church is in trouble is because we're not persecuted, perhaps, enough. There's a persecuted church across this world who's experiencing revival because they have to make a decision to follow Christ or not. Many times we can come to church and we can live our lives looking no different than the world. 
And I think God uses some of those troubles in our lives to grow us more like Jesus, to disciples. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week, about how God takes some of our troubles and our temptations and things that happen to us, maybe even the sin that can happen from other people and the hardship that we go through and shape us and mold us more like Jesus. But in the midst of that, my prayer is that you might have a strong relationship with God and that that is what gets you through those difficult times. See, some people, when they go through those, choose to run. They say, God, I I didn't sign up for this. God, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Well, please let me forewarn you. This is what the Christian faith can be. It can be difficult times. Now, it's not always, and don't do things that bring that upon you, but it can be difficult days and difficult times. And I pray that when you go through those times, that you are going back to God's word, That you are leaning into God, not running away from Him. In fact, how you do your devotions, when you do devotions, that foundation, it provides a foundation for you to get through life when things get discouraging. It's one of the reasons that we are going to study about storms in the fall time. It's a series, we've kind of been working with the name, but Storm Watch is what we're looking at right now, about biblical people who went through storms in their life. Maybe they were physical storms, maybe they were spiritual storms, maybe they were relational storms, because each of us go through storms in our lives as well. In fact, I believe there's three types of people here in this congregation. Those who are either in a storm right now, those who are just exiting a storm right now, or those who are entering into a storm right now, and you just don't know it yet. And so we need to talk about how do you get through those difficult times? How do you get through those difficult days? And so at the end of September, early October, November, we're going to be jumping into that to see how we can live our faith out. In fact, we have a book, Sharon Mackin, I see you right over there, that Sharon Mackin and some others in this congregation have written over the past decade, a book of people who have gone through storms in their lives, but instead of running from God, have leaned into God. The storms in their lives have caused them to grow in their faith for the Lord. And we'll be um, hopefully publishing that book and allowing that to get into your hands in a, in a, slow, in a short amount of time here, uh, hopefully about a month from now. But throughout that book, throughout Scripture, throughout people's lives who go through difficult times, time and time and time again, you'll see people saying, it was my faith that brought me through. It was God's word that I held on to. It was people coming around me and praying for me. It was me being shaped as God wanted me to be shaped. Uh, Honest confession, in my early 20s, uh, I went through college and seminary uh, in a little bit of a mad dash. I took uh, the final two years of my undergraduate degree up at Sacramento State combined with my seminary, three years in seminary for my master's, and combined those five years down to four years, uh, and, and went through uh, in, a, in a kind of a cram sort of time. One semester, I took 23 units, um, started interning here at the church, uh, started dating my, my future wife, Carrie, um, and I will admit I was running pretty hard. And there were times when I neglected pulling myself out of that schedule and that pace to slow down and hear God personally and to hear him on a regular daily basis. And so God tried to kind of get my attention in different ways. I still remember a devotion that was done in one of our uh, uh, seminary classes by our professor who, who gave the word of slow down, take life slowly. And there was a class about 30 or 45, but it was one of those moments that I felt like he was speaking directly to me. There was a big flashing yellow light for me. Slow down, slow down, slow down. 
I, I did a little bit, but probably not as much as I should have, because the fact of the matter was, is that I was still reading my Bible, I was still serving, I was still growing, but I was probably reading my Bible more from a scholastic side of things, and it was more about information than about transformation. Careful when you do that. This Bible is not given to us just for some information. It's given to us to transform our lives. And so truthfully, I was probably getting through the Bible, but the Bible wasn't getting through me. I was doing good things still, but I probably wasn't doing the best. In fact, it reminds me of the story of Mary and Martha. You remember that story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus comes over to their house and Mary and Martha are then preparing for him to come and Martha finds herself in the kitchen doing all the busy work and doing all the preparations and Mary is out at the feet of Jesus and Martha gets a little indignant. Lord, tell her to get in here. We need some work done. Who's going to prepare all this? And Jesus says, Martha, okay, that's good and all. But right now I'm here with you. This is what's most important. And so I just want to kind of throw that out to you. There are times when there will be busy seasons in your life. There are days when you will be serving and have to do a lot of work. I know with the, um, the, the women's uh, conference yesterday, there were a team of people who went through some busy times so that other people could sit at the feet of Jesus. I know that happens, but please don't neglect to continue to serve without also continuing to be in the Word. And don't make it your lifestyle. There are times and there are seasons, but we go through life saying, God, um, we want to take it at your pace. And so that's why when I was going through seminary, I also had a spiritual mentor that I was set up with. Um, It could be someone I chose here from the church, and it was a man by the name of Ned Ware. Some of you who have been around here for years remember Ned and Dorothy, uh, wonderful, wonderful people. And so Ned was my spiritual mentor that I met throughout my seminary days. And even after seminary, we still had a relationship And um, he would often be talking to me just about spiritual things, and I would listen, and we would talk and share, and he knew how busy I would get, and so oftentimes he would call me, and he would say, hey, Pastor Brad, uh, how's your day looking today? And I would say, oh, man, I got this appointment, I got this, it's busy, 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 and he would say, great, it's time for us to go play golf, isn't it? Sometimes he would even say, I'm coming by this afternoon, oh, Ned, I don't think I can do that, no, 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 no. Today's the day that you need to. You need to slow down. You just need to do things differently. And so let me just pose that and give that over to all of us. As many of us are heading back into a fall schedule, if you're a school teacher, you've already started teaching. If you have grade school kids, they're in school. If you're in college, you may be heading back into classes. Maybe your work schedule. Maybe if you're working, you may be working overtime, whatever it may be. May I be the voice of a professor that I didn't listen to real well. May I be the voice of a mentor that I tried to listen to and often did listen to as he spoke into my life. And may I, like Martha, may we learn this. Don't get distracted. Slow down and let God in. Make it a commitment to be before the Lord and let him shape you. Let him speak into your life. Let him lead you. And so what I want to do is I want to take just these remaining verses here in in, in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. And show you how perhaps you can be shaped and be discipled as God wants to do that in your life and your heart. And so let me read verse 3 again, and then we'll go to 4, 5, and 6. Again, Paul's last words. He's saying, Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so we have this analogy here, this picture of a soldier. And we'll talk about that more in just a bit. He goes on, verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So you have a soldier, now you have an athlete. And then the, verse 6 said, It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And so for just a second here, I want to talk to you a little bit about perhaps your devotional life, your discipleship process that you go through. From the angle of a, of a, of a soldier who is dedicated to the Lord, to an athlete who follows the rules, and then to a farmer who works hard for the rewards that come his way. And so you have your outline, you have a couple of fill-ins. I'm just going to give you just a few here. Let's talk about the first one, and that is this, the dedication of a soldier. The dedication of a soldier. And you can scribble down some words and phrases as I thought of them. When I think of a soldier, I thought of someone who does not get distracted. Paul told him that. Don't get distracted by civilian affairs. Follow the one who's enlisted you. Follow the one who's brought you along here. A soldier knows who he answers to and doesn't get distracted by answering to others. A soldier is obedient. In fact, a soldier many times will have external authority on his life. So he listens to the one who's telling him what to do and how to do it. And so if you want to tie this over into perhaps how we grow and how we're discipled and how we do a devotional life, perhaps a soldier's devotional life is very structured. Perhaps a soldier's uh, devotional life is along the lines of, God, you've set up scripture for me to read and read through, and I like to have a plan, I like to have it in place, and I like to follow through with it. And so you probably know if you're a soldier and like to do it in that way, if you read through the Bible in a progressive, systematic type of a way. And if you don't, let me just give that to you. You can easily go online, just Google Bible reading plans, and it can set you up with so many different Bible reading plans for you to read through the Bible. You can read through the entire Bible in a year. You can read through just the New Testament in a year, just the Old Testament in a year. You can read the Gospels and then some of the poetry and then some of the New Testament epistles. You can set it up in so many different ways. But a soldier likes to probably approach it and say, okay, God, would you speak to me? And I like to do it in a systematic type of way where an order is in place, and that would be with a Bible reading plan. I encourage you to take that step in your discipleship process. Secondly, though, Paul talks about the discipline of an athlete. The discipline of an athlete. What do we know about an athlete? An athlete is someone who needs to follow the rules. Paul talks specifically about that. An athlete is someone who is driven. An athlete is someone who is self-motivated. And there isn't this external authority on him like it would be from a soldier. A soldier has someone who's telling him kind of a plan to follow or a thing to do. But, but, uh, but uh, uh, an athlete follows with more of an internal authority. More of knowing um, the, that, that I have a drive to follow the Lord. That, that my passion comes from within me. Uh, uh, um, if you talk about your devotion life, maybe you come to a place where that desire is there, your time with the Lord is in place, and you almost get like a runner's high. You, 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 you do your devotions, you follow His plan for you because it's the right thing to do. And it's an internal, you know what needs to be done, and so you do it for that reason. I think of athletes and musicians 
practicing in, in much the same way. Uh, Petrusky was a classic pianist. He was one of the best, one of the best of all times. He practiced scales for three hours a day, just doing scales before he even practiced the music that he, lo- he loved to do. And he had a coach who helped him do some of these things. And somebody asked him this one day, said, 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 why do you play scales that long every day? Here's what he said. He said, if I miss playing scales for one day and then I go play in public, I know I missed a day. I know I wasn't as good as I could have been. And he said, if I miss playing scales for two days and then I play in public, my coach knows. He said, if I miss playing scales for three days and then I go play in public, the whole world will know. Follow that line of thinking. If I miss doing my devotions, other people might not know it, but you know what I do, and I know I wasn't the person God wanted me to be. I know I wasn't as sensitive as the things that he wanted me to be sensitive to. If you miss doing your devotions and discipleship for a couple different days, the people closest to you can pick that out. If you miss doing them for three days, the people, the whole world will know it because you're not being a life change agent. Now, I'm not telling you have to follow those exact plans, but that's what he would say about his music. But how about us? An athlete is someone who wants to follow the rules. An athlete is someone who wants to be motivated. An athlete is someone who wants to be driven. And so Paul says, step into that line of thinking. Paul, I think, would really kind of approach this from an athlete's point of view. Many illustrations he uses were from the athletic realm. But then he gives us one more. And it would be, on your outline, the diligence of a farmer. The diligence of a farmer. What does a farmer go through when they, when they work? Well, a farmer would lives a life of uh, cooperation. A farmer is kind of a co-laborer. A farmer sees the proper timing for the plants to, or for the crops to be planted and then plants them and has patience. Like a farmer, they sense the season. They respond to what's going on. Is the weather in the right place? Is rain coming? Is it open season? Is the sun here? They, they see what's going on around and respond. And so for a farmer, if you talk about your devotion type of life, it could be that um, maybe you pick up God's word and read it for 10, 15 minutes a day one day and maybe you step into it and read it for two hours another day. You sense what's going on around you and you respond in that way. Perhaps you're, you read your Bible, but then you listen and you listen to the world and how God speaks to you and what he wants you to do. Three different analogies, three different ways of kind of stepping into God's word and, 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 and operating in the way that God made you and shaped you. Perhaps with this farmer, it would be this type of illustration. A number of years ago, uh, Pastor Jim and I went to a uh, conference in Hawaii. And um, it was a pastor's conference. About 50 of us went there, learned wonderful things. But on one day, a group of us pastors went out surfing for the very first time. And I had never surfed before. Um, I had snow skied many times and water skied many times, but I'd never surfed. And uh, so I thought this would be no problem whatsoever. All right. <laughs> Right? I mean, I got out there on my longboard, and I got my surfing apparel on, and I got my sunblock, and I'm, you know, da na 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 right? I'm thinking through this, and that's the way it's going to look. I got my longboard sitting out there. I was ready. A nice wave is coming by. It's coming closer. It's coming closer. It swelled. It crested. It passed. And there I sat. Didn't move at all. I'm seeing these little, you know, these little seven and eight-year-olds. They're surfing. They're cutting some waves. They're like, cowabunga, dude. And I'm just like, nope. 
not working for me. Finally, one native islander came by. He said, let me give you some advice. <laughs> said, thanks. He said, when you see a wave, paddle hard. Because there were some times when I was catching waves just because I was in the right place. But then there were other times, and he was telling me this, that you need to get yourself into the right position to catch that wave. It doesn't always just happen. Now, if you tie this into your spiritual life and how we grow, become disciples of Jesus, sometimes you will just catch a wave. And those are fun times. And those are good times. And maybe even some of those happen here on Sunday mornings because you come. But for you to grow in the way that God really wants you to grow, you need to put yourself into place and paddle hard to get yourself to where the wave is cresting, to get you to self where, where the wave is swelling and where you can be right where you need to be to surf on that wave. It doesn't just always happen. You need to get yourself in position. And so that's my encouragement to you, that you would do the work of a soldier, you would do the work of an athlete, you would do the work of a farmer to allow God to speak and to grow you and to shape you. And then look at verse 7. Paul says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Even in the midst of these three analogies that he gives, then he tells Timothy, he says, think over this. Think over what this means. In fact, slow down, reflect, because to be honest, I think we would probably agree that most of us run too fast, we slow down too little to allow God to speak to us. And maybe even too many of us put too much emphasis on Sunday morning growth. I would hope and pray that Sunday morning is not the only time that you crack your Bible open. I would hope you are doing that on a regular, daily basis basis because that's how God speaks to us and that our time with God needs to be a priority and let me go back to what I said at the beginning here with grace you don't need to read God's word to be a Christian but you do need to read God's word to be a growing Christian okay I mean it's all it's almost an oxymoron to be and that's not a moron okay you're not a moron I said an oxymoron two things that kind of stand opposed to each other it's almost an oxymoron to say you're a Christian and not be a growing Christian because what a Christian is is someone who's becoming more like Christ right you are growing that's what a Christian is supposed to do shaped developed and grown to take more characteristics of Jesus so we need to take those steps in our lives. And we want you to be in position to do that, to become more like Jesus. And I don't care. It could look like the dedicated structure of a soldier, the disciplined drivenness of an athlete, or the diligent, contemplative kind of lifestyle of a farmer. But take those steps. Get into God's Word. Be a part of the programs, the Wednesday night programs, the Sunday school classes that we offer, the small groups that we have, the one-on-one relationships you can get. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about circumstances and how that shapes us and grows us of who Jesus wants us to be. But take those kind of steps. And so let me read the definition again as we put this up here on the screen and see if it makes a little bit more sense to you now. It says discipleship is a process. It doesn't just happen overnight. It happens over time. But it's a process. Whoop, let's go back to that. A becoming like Jesus. That's what our goal is. 
It's to look, to smell, to act like Jesus. And it's the responsibility of each Christian, that's us, to take personal ownership for our own spiritual maturity. Don't put that on me. I'm going to encourage you. Yes, you are here, and I'm encouraging you in all that, but I encourage you not to just make Sunday morning what you do. That's why we encourage you to get into those groups. We encourage you to do other things. We encourage you to come to fellowships. We encourage you to come to a women's conference. Take responsibility. We encourage you to get into God's Word. Take responsibility. Because you've heard us say this a lot around here. God can't steer a parked car, right? Get that thing moving. And when it's moving, God will steer you and shape you and form you into who He wants you to be. Yesterday, I did a wedding at UOP. A young couple has been coming around here. And um, it reminded me of a um, time when I was uh, preparing for my wedding. And, um, my wife, 18 years now, remembering um, the honeymoon that we went on and remembering a couple of months before I was uh, wed to Carrie that I wanted to look good on my honeymoon night. I mean, I wanted, I wanted to be ripped, right, and look good for her. And so two months probably wasn't enough time, but it was something, all right? It was something. And so I made a goal to do 100 push-ups and 100 sit-ups every night for two months, preparing for that. Do you know what the hardest push-up and the hardest sit-up was? It wasn't number 98, number 99, or 100. It was number one. It was just getting down and doing it. It was starting the process. I pray that as you have come here, I know you want to be like Jesus. I know you do. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. But I pray that you will take it beyond what we do here. And you'll get God's word in your life. And it won't just be you going through the Bible, but it will be the Bible going through and getting through you. I pray as you do that, in the next couple of weeks as we talk more about that, that your drive would say, God, I love you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the grace that he has given to me. And because of that grace, I am going to love you more, fall more in love with you. Not a cheap grace, not a grace that I have to do this, but a grace that says I want to grow in this because I want to be more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, it is not easy being a Christian. You shape us, you mold us, you develop us, you change us. We're not the same as we were yesterday. We're not the person who we will be tomorrow. And so, God, we give you permission today to do what you need to do. Lord, I believe that step begins with us. It begins with a decision just like that, not just something that the pastor prays up front, but that every person in these seats makes a commitment to say, Jesus, I want to be more like you. I want to be more like you. And God, over the next few weeks, as we talk about how we get shaped and developed that way, next week as we talk about the circumstances and things that happen to us, and the week after that as we talk more about your word and how we get into that, Lord, I, I pray that our result, our, or our goal would be the end result, and that is the process of being like Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for molding us, for shaping us, for developing us. 
Lord, I pray that we are a church that loves you and wants to grow in that love. God, that we're not a church that just gathers on Sunday, but we are a church that lives seven days a week. We are a church that shows Jesus in our workplaces, that shows Jesus in our homes. Or that we are a church, a body of believers who are called out to be like Jesus in every area of our lives. God, may your grace just overwhelm us. That your grace is like an ocean and we are just sinking in it. Today, even now, as we take our morning offering, as we worship with a couple more songs, I pray that you are continuing to mold us and shape us. Even as we have an opportunity to give, it's becoming more like you because you are such a giving God. God, we love you. Thank you for your grace. We give you our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.